The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Christian and his partner in Pilgrim, when they escaped from giant despair in John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, they made their way to what was called by Bunyan the Delectable Mountains, and there were shepherds who cared for them and who spoke to them about dangers and warnings they took them up to a high mountain and there they could see down below in the valley. It was a mountain named Caution. And as they looked far off, they saw what they thought were several men walking up and down, stumbling among the tombs. They perceived that the men were blind because as they stumbled, They were unable to escape. They were trapped among the dead. And Christian asked one of the shepherds, What does this mean? 
The shepherd answered, Do you see a little below these mountains a stile that leads into a meadow on the left hand of this way? When they spotted it, the shepherd said, From that stile there is a path that leads directly to Doubting Castle, which is kept by giant despair. And these, said the shepherds, pointing to those who were stumbling around among the tombs, were once on pilgrimage just as you are. But when they came to that same stile where the true way was rough, they chose to go out of it into the meadow. Once in the meadow, they were taken by giant despair and cast into Doubting Castle. After they'd been kept in the dungeon for a while, he at last put out their eyes and led them among those tombs where he left them to wander to this very day. The saying of the wise man is fulfilled. He that wanders out of the way of understanding shall remain in the congregation of the dead. As Christian and Hopeful looked at one another, tears began to stream down their faces. They understood. They had almost died in that dungeon. Had they remained there, their eyes would have been put out, and they would have wandered among the tombs as these poor souls were. They were deceived. And yet, they would have called themselves pilgrims. They would have said, we're on our way to heaven. But they were blind. They were not on their way to heaven. They had wandered out of the way of understanding. And they were in the congregation of the dead. Now I'm going to share with you some very severe warnings about the dangers the dangers ahead for you. The battle is on. This is not a place of peace and rest. This place that you are in is a place of warfare. Now, when we hear the term warfare, we think I'd better grab my sword and I'd better grab my shield and I'd better take up my arms, and I'd better be ready to fight. But this is going to be a different kind of battle. This is going to be a battle that Jacob experienced. Do you remember Jacob? He was called heel grabber because as he came forth from his mama's womb, he was grasping Esau's heel. They were twins. They grew up together, but they were very different. Esau loved the wild game, the wild life. He was not a follower of the Lord God of heaven. He wanted what he wanted, and he was going to go after it, and he was going to get it regardless of the cost to himself or to his family. He knew what he was after. Jacob, on the other hand, while being a very strong person physically, was a quiet-hearted person, a reflective person. That didn't prevent him from making very serious errors in his journey toward the celestial city. He was a deceiver, a grasper. He knew what he wanted, and he was going to try to get it one way or another. And so his father... They're now grown boys, men. His father decides that his father decides that he's going to bless his son Esau. Now already Jacob has stolen we could say stole, but in fact he negotiated. Esau wanted 
the lentil soup and the bread and the drink because he was famished. And his concern was not for things of the spirit. His concern was only for things of the flesh. How much money he could make, the kind of car he could drive, the kind of house he could live in, the kind of clothing he could wear. He was concerned about the practical things, as he would call it, of life. While Jacob was much more interested in things of the spirit. He knew there was another world. How did he know that? I don't know, but he knew. And he knew the birthright was of great value to him. The birthright was the spiritual leadership of his family. But it was also a double portion of his dad's estate when his father passed. You'll find this mixture in, in Jacob. He cares about the spirit realm, but he also wants the money. Sound familiar? He wants the life of comfort, but he wants the spiritual life too. So, he negotiates for the birthright and buys it for a pot of, for a bowl of porridge, for a bowl of lentil soup. Esau doesn't care about spirit things. He figures he's going to work it out some way. So that's what he's about. He's going to work it out the best way he can. Now, as adults, they come to the issue of the blessing of dad. The blessing of dad involves great prosperity as a farmer. Esau's not a farmer, but he wants the blessing that will make him rich. Jacob is the farmer. He cares about the sheep. He cares about the farm. He cares about his family. Mama decides a deception strategy, and Jacob goes along with it. He knows it's wrong. He knows it's a deception. But he goes along with it. And he gets his father's blessing. Now, in the midst of getting that blessing, he makes Esau bitterly angry. And Esau is ready to murder his brother. Mama sees that, and she sends Jacob away to Uncle Laban's house. On the way, he has a dream, and he negotiates with God. I'll give you 10% if you'll give me my food and my clothing, and you'll take care of me. Well, it was not a very good deal, because he was going to spend the next 20 years working for Uncle Laban in bitter labor. I suspect that some of you have also made deals and it hasn't been all that pleasant for you. Jobs that you've not liked, relationships that have been hard. It's been a a bitter time for some of you and for some it's going to become much more bitter as you're evicted from your house or you lose your apartment you're unable to pay the rent, and where do you go, and what do you do, and families will begin moving in with each other, and that's already happening. So the question is, how is Jacob going to get through this? After those years of labor, he finally negotiates with Laban, and begins to build his own wealth and his own prosperity. But the Lord, seeing that Laban is becoming increasingly upset about the prosperity of Jacob, and seeing that Laban's sons are becoming very angry about Jacob's prosperity, the Lord tells him, Return to the land of your fathers. Go back and I'll be with you. 
Now, it's interesting that as Jacob enters that land of promise, angels of God come and meet him there. He can physically see the angels. And he said, this is God's camp. The angels of God have welcomed me home. Now, there's a problem. And the problem is his brother Esau. He is terrified that Esau is going to come with a company of men, warriors, and attack his family and kill them and kill him. So he does what we would expect him to do, what you would do or what I would do. He goes to the Lord in prayer. I want to read this prayer. It's a good prayer. O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, Return to your country and to your relatives and I will prosper you. I am unworthy of all the loving kindness and of all the faithfulness which you have shown me. For your staff only, with my staff only, I crossed this Jordan and now I've become two companies. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau. For I fear him that he will come and attack me and the mothers with the children. For you said, I will surely prosper you and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which is too great to be numbered. So he spent the night there. He's prayed his prayer for protection. He's done his duty. Now he knows that Esau is coming to meet him. And he knows that Esau is coming with 400 men, armed. And Jacob cannot begin to stand up against that army. And he knows his brother intends to kill him. He knows his brother still has a bitter grudge in his heart against him and said he would kill him. And now Jacob is sure that his brother is coming and he's going to kill him. So Jacob does what Jacob does. He mixes the spiritual with the physical. He prays a very godly prayer, touching all the bases. It's a good prayer. But then, in his own wisdom, he has no word from God except that God will bless him, that he should go back home. He has a promise. And he's standing on that promise, and he prays that promise to God. But then he goes out and begins to prepare to seduce his brother with money, with livestock. So he selects from his herds 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 eyes, and 20 rams, 30 milking camels and their colts, 40 cows, 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys, and 10 male donkeys. Whoa! That's a lot of silver. That's a lot of gold. That's a very expensive gift. Now, he breaks these groups up, and he sends one of his men to drive that or to lead that, that group of animals. And he says, when you meet Esau, when you meet my brother, he's going to say to you, what are these? To whom do they belong? And where are you going? He said, then say to him, these belong to your servant Jacob. It is a present sent to my Lord Esau. And behold, he also is behind us. You notice the, the word, my Lord Esau. commands the second and the third and the fourth 
After this manner, you shall speak to Esau. This is Genesis 32, verse 20. You shall say, Behold, your servant, your servant Jacob, is also behind us. For he said, I will appease him with the present that goes before me. Then afterward I will see his face, and perhaps he will accept me. So, the gift to Esau is sent forward, and he himself spent the night there in the camp. And that night, he gets up, and he takes his two wives and his two maids and his 11 children, and he has them cross the ford at the Jabbok. He sent them across the stream. He sent across everything he had. Now Jacob is on the other side of the Jabbok. He's alone. And he's not content in his heart. You understand, he has not prayed through. He has done his religious duty in prayer. He has claimed God's promises in prayer. Now, I want you to see there's a problem with claiming God's promises when you're still in your flesh. Because in your flesh, you disable the promises of God, and they will not function for you. You cannot stand on a promise because God will come and stand on you. I've seen this in my own life time after time. I will begin to claim, Mark 11, cast this mountain into the depths of the sea. I claim it in the name of Jesus. And then God will come and stand on my head. What do I mean? I mean things will become very painful and very difficult. God wants to deal with his agenda with my heart before he'll deal with my agenda. God deals with his agenda before he deals with my agenda. So I've said to you this week, you have to stand on the promises of God and you'll be delivered. But only if God has been able to come and stand on your head and deal with his agenda with you. I've shared the stories, and I'll share more later, of Guy Bevington. Sometimes it would take him 48, 72 hours of prayer before he received the assurance that what he was praying for would be done. Why did he have to pray so long? Well, in his own words, God put him on a lathe and began to trim him down. He was too big for God to answer his prayer. This is a major problem. We can stand on the promises of God and nothing will happen. And month after month, even year after year, yay, God will not answer. We're in that vice. We're in that block. I mean, so, a dear brother said to me this morning, I'm in a vice. And I said to him, well, what does God want? I don't know. I don't know what God wants. Well, I know this is a, a devoted man of prayer. And I know he's spending the time necessary in the prayer closet. But I also see that what's happening in his life is what's happening in my life. I'm getting carved down. I'm on the lathe of God. Many years ago, I entered into the holiness school. But did you know the holiness school is also the holy school? It's where you get carved down. It's where you get reduced. It's where you get the pride taken out of you, often with many blows. 
Well, Pastor, where is that in the Word? Well, if you want to go to the New Testament, go to Hebrews, the 12th chapter. I'm not going to go there now. We're going to finish this with Jacob. But it says there that God will discipline us. He will scourge us. That if you're not punished by God, if you're not scourged, if you're not whipped by God, it's because you're not his child. My dad never gave the neighbor boy a whipping. He did the same thing I did. We did it together. But he never gave the neighbor boy a whipping. It was me he gave the whipping. Why did he give me a whipping and not the neighbor boy? Well, because it wasn't he wasn't part of his family. And dad was not responsible for the neighbor's behavior, but he was responsible for my behavior. And that whipping reduced me to loud bawling, tears, and righteousness, telling me I'm not going to do that again. I'm not going to go there again. It's too dangerous. Well, God doesn't whip someone who's not a part of his family. But Hebrews 12 says that when God does that to us, it produces a crop of righteousness, of a harvest of righteousness. So, Jacob is alone, and suddenly a man grabs him and throws him to the ground. It's dark. He can't see who the man is, but there's a fight on. It's a, a body contact fight. It's wrestling. It's punching. It's fighting. And Jacob, believing in his heart that this is Esau, fights like a wild man. Punching and hitting and rolling in the dust and clenching. And When I was in high school, I was always enjoying the tag team wrestling. It was hot and sweaty. Sometimes it was bitter and painful, hurt. Sometimes I would go away from that fight, limping, bloody nose, bruised. Those kinds of fights are very painful. And in Genesis 32, verse 24, we find that Jacob alone wrestles with this man until daylight. Do you understand? God is bringing Jacob to an end of his flesh. God has to deal with that. Else he will not answer our prayers. We're too big for God to answer our prayer. Now, let me say something that some of you may not like, but I have to say it to you. I have to be honest with you. You're too big for God to answer completely your prayers, and so am I. And that's why God has me on the lathe. And whether or not he puts you on the lathe will determine whether or not you can just be a religious person who wanders out of the way of understanding and you remain in the congregation of the dead and you're powerless and you're very religious, but you're dead. My heart has risen up and I've said I'm not going to remain in the lukewarm death of pride. I'm not going to stay in that place. So, Lord, whatever you have to do with me, please do it. Cause my heart to hunger and thirst for you, Jesus. Now, do you understand 
This fight was a physical fight. It was not an intellectual fight. Some of you are willing to do the intellectual work, and you understand conceptually what I'm talking about, but oh, my brother, my sister, that won't get the work done. This has to be a fight. You want to sit down and and watch that movie. You know that if you sit down and watch that movie, you're going to take your time and energy away from seeking after Jesus. And your mind is going to be seared. And when you go to read the scriptures the next time, it will be boring to you. You would rather look at YouTube videos. You would rather watch movies. You would rather play the video games. You would rather do almost anything other than sit down and just spend the time reading the scriptures. They're cardboard in your mouth. Why? Because you've seared your heart in the flesh. Because you would not fight the war of the flesh and cast off the temptation to pleasure yourself. I did something last night I don't normally do. I love ice cream. So last night, I said, it's summertime. I should at least one time go and have a a large, beautiful strawberry ice cream. So I went to a place called Cold. It's a national chain. And I had a great big container filled with strawberry ice cream. Wow, did I enjoy that. Is there anything wrong with eating ice cream? No, not once in a while. Probably not. But I did it out of my flesh. I didn't do it out of the direction of the Spirit. I said, it's summer. I'm entitled to have at least one ice cream this summer. (laughs) This morning I woke up and I was so miserable. I dragged myself out of bed. I said, what is wrong with me? Well, I know what was wrong with me. I had all of that sugar last night before I went to bed. It was not a wise move. I can't consume that kind of sugar and expect to feel good. Now, I don't have diabetes. But sugar is death for me. I I basically have cut sugar from my diet. I don't eat maybe one light sugar dessert a week at the most. I just stay away from sugar. I want to eat vegetables. I want to eat healthy proteins. I don't want to eat sugars, and I don't want to eat starch. I don't want to eat things that are not healthy for me. My body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. I didn't fight that battle. I should have walked away from it and said, no, I'm not entitled to anything. I'm I'm wanting Jesus. The result was I was slow getting up this morning. I woke up at 5.30 as normal, but soon crashed, went back to bed and slept until 7.30, which I never do. (laughs) This is not an intellectual battle we're dealing with. This is a a physical battle in the flesh where if we give way and we spend that time wasting our time on the Internet, we waste our time on the games, we waste our time on the Olympics, we waste our time, all manner of entertainment, We're stealing that precious time when we need to gain the victory so that we can be victorious when we meet Esau. All night, Jacob fought with the Lord. And he was not about to stop fighting. He was not going to give up. He would rather die than give up. Sound familiar? You're a survivor. You're a fighter. You're going to go get it. You're going to make it happen. 
Finally, Jesus, and it was the pre-incarnate Jesus. It was the Lord, the God of heaven and earth. He was personally wrestling in the dirt with Jacob. He was down and dirty. He wanted to save this man. And if the only way he could get through to Jacob was to fight physically with him, he would do it. He had plans for Jacob. It was through Jacob that children would come forth and had come forth already. And these children would become the children of Israel, the hope of the world, the people of God. So finally, the Lord touched the socket of his hip. He threw it out of joint. He dislocated it. Wow, that's painful. That hurt. When this happened, at some point in this battle, Jacob understood that he was fighting with God himself. And the Lord said to him, Let me go, for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. I will not let you go unless you bless me. Oh, what a change of attitude. He's exhausted. He's beat up. He's filthy dirty. He's sweaty. He's been fighting all night. Now he knows it's with God he's been fighting. Do you understand? It's not Esau that Jacob needed to be afraid of. It was God himself Jacob needed to be afraid of. You don't need to be afraid of your sickness. You don't need to be afraid of your challenges, your lack. It's God himself you need to be afraid of. For God holds in the palm of his hand your very life. And he has given you these precious promises, Second Peter, the first chapter, by which you can participate in the divine nature. Now Jacob is ready to begin participating in the divine nature. I'm not, I'll not let you go unless you bless me. Have you come to that place with the Lord? I have. The Lord has told me what he wants me to do. Okay, I will do that. I will wait on the Lord. I won't go out and do my own. Do you know how tempted I have been to go out and start ministries that I want? I started my ministry in Washington, D.C., in Georgetown, that very posh part of D.C., and I was managing... I was the head of a of a coffee house on on M Street in Georgetown and also right next to it a free medical clinic we had over 100 volunteers working there a week we had let's see 1 2 3 4 we had five full-time paid staff I loved it I'd like to have a Christian coffee house. The Lord hasn't told me, so I can't do it. He's told me to wait. There are other ministries that I would like to open. The Lord has not said to do it. I have to wait. And meanwhile, my life is going by. How long do I wait? The Lord said, wait upon the Lord, and I will carry, the Lord will carry you through. Rest in me, Ray. He said that to me audibly. I just said to the Lord, okay, Lord, I'm not going to let you go till you bless me. If you said to me, wait upon the Lord, you have to come, because if you don't come, you will stand me up. 
I'm going to wait on you. You said to me, I'll do more in your ministry in one day than you could do in your whole life. I'll wait on the Lord. I walk with a limp as well. I don't stride forth in the earth, the powerful pastor, somebody well-known, successful, someone to be considered. No, that's not who I am. I'm the least of my brothers. I've been humbled to the ground, wrestling with God. Jacob says, what is your name? And he said, why do you ask me that? And he blessed him. He said to Jacob, what is your name? He said, Jacob, heel grabber. Well, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Your name shall be overcomer, Israel. What's that worth to you? What's it worth for you to to fight with God until finally you've been reduced enough that he can trust you and you can trust him? You see, to activate a promise, you have to be small enough that you can trust God so that God can trust you. Well, Jacob gets up. The Lord has blessed him. And as the sun comes up, he crosses over. And he's barely walking with great pain. He's limping. This strong man, Jacob, who can stride through the world, who can deceive and convince, connive. It's all out in the open now. He's filthy dirty. Looks like a beggar. And he's limping. He can barely walk. Now Jacob looks up. And he sees the dust cloud in the distance. And he knows it's Esau with 400 armed men. So he divides his two groups. And he leads them to meet Esau. But remember, he now has the blessing of God. As he, as he walks toward Esau, he bows down to the ground. And then he gets up. And he stumbles forward. And then he falls down to the ground again. I don't know if he's falling because he's so humble or because his hip is so disjointed he can't walk. Whatever it is, I suspect. I suspect. That it's because his heart has been so humbled. Esau climbs off his horse. He jumps off in the full power of his manhood. And he runs. He runs to Jacob. And he picks him up in his arms. He kisses him on the cheek. And they stand there, weeping with one another. That was not something Jacob could make happen. That was something God had to make happen. 
You can't have that kind of victory over the powers of darkness without a night-long fight with God and the blessing of God and the reducing of yourself so that you no longer go out in the strength and the power of your own mind and your own heart. Some of you today are, you're limping. But not because you've reached God. You're limping because the world has hurt you. Or someone has stolen from you. Or damaged you. And the Lord says, forgive them. Rise up. Stop limping. There's only one reason to limp. And that is if God has touched your hip and taken away your pride. Some of you today, you've wandered out of the way of understanding. You're in the congregation of the dead. There has to be a change in your life. You can pray the very polite little prayers. But those polite little prayers don't don't mean a hill of beans. You'll not have a crop of righteousness from those kind of prayers. You're going to have to get down and dirty with God. You're going to have to turn off the world and the flesh and the devil. You're going to have to get humble before God. God's going to have to touch you wherever he needs to to humble your heart so that you can meet your Esau with tears and humility. Without pride. You want to activate the promises of God, you don't do it by naming it and claiming it. You do it by allowing God to humble you in the prayer closet, coming to an end of yourself, being willing to absolutely come to the end of yourself and of your own strength and of your own ability, where you repent of all sin and where you absolutely and totally submit to whatever the will of God is for you and you say, I'm willing to live with this or to die with this but I will trust the Lord God of heaven and I will not create for myself torches that I've lit to light my way in this darkness. I will wait upon the Lord. Live or die. My life is hidden in Jesus Christ. Have you done that? Or have you just been praying polite prayers, naming it and claiming it, hoping God will answer, not really expecting him to answer because he hasn't answered yet, and time has passed. That husband is still wicked. That wife is still rebellious. That Those children are still hard to deal with. Your boss is still horrible. Whatever it is in your life that is Esau, your Esau is not your is not your enemy. It's Jesus Himself who comes to fight with you to humble your heart. Those very painful places that you have in your heart and in your life were meant by Jesus to turn you in humility, to let him put you on the lathe and carve you down and get you quiet enough. Do you understand? You can't watch the television and the videos. You can't watch the TV, the games. You can't read those novels. You can't gossip 
and have all the wild social life and get quiet before Almighty God. And you have to get quiet before the prayer will be answered. You activate the promises of God. Yes, by by claiming in the name of Jesus what you've asked for. But then Jesus needs to come and stand on your head and get you small enough and quiet enough that he can trust you with the answer. Small enough that you can trust him with his answer, even if it's not what you wanted. Well, we're out of time for today. I hope this has been helpful. We're going to deal with promises of God again tomorrow. And by the way, I just apologize to those of you who are trying to listen on the radio. Weva is on little power because they're repairing their transmitters. So many of you have not been able to listen today, and I'm sorry. I'm asking, would you please help me to stay on the air? I need you to help cover the cost of this radio broadcast. If the Holy Spirit is prompting you, would you give as you're able? Um, You can do that by going to nationalprayerchapel.com, National prayerchapel.com you can give online or you can write to me at the National Prayer Chapel Post Office Box 2346 Woodbridge, Virginia 22195 Thank each one of you who has already given We're about halfway there We have one week left and we are way short of where we need to be It would be a great encouragement today if you were to go online and give as the Lord leads you, or if you would just write to me and send your offering or your tithe. I'm standing by faith. I know it's not by might or by power. It's by my spirit, saith the Lord. That's why I don't offer books and tapes and videos that you could buy. This is not a business. This is a ministry. So, please, give as the Lord prompts you. Now let's pray. Lord, I come by faith asking that you would do whatever is necessary in my life and in my brothers and sisters to cause us to turn, be humble, and ask you to bless us. Lord, give us a new name. Make us overcomers. Heal the brokenness, Almighty God. I pray in your holy name. Amen.